Hi, and welcome to Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. Please join us as we explore how you can enjoy a happier life and a fulfilling career, things that aren't always that easy in our modern world. We'll be taking a look to how you can explore well-being both inside and outside the workplace, how to prevent burnout, how to achieve true happiness in work and life, and so much more. So stick around. everybody and welcome to Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. I'm here today with Jenny as usual and I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Anja Blacha. Anja is a German mountaineer and holds a huge number of climbing records uh, and in 2017 you became the youngest German woman to successfully climb Mount Everest if that is correct. You have climbed all seven summits um, and you have also uh, trekked and set the record for the longest solo unsupported and unassisted polar expedition by any woman in history, I read, uh, to the South Pole. And I had the absolute pleasure of hearing you talk about your experiences a couple months back. Um, And uh, I'm just so excited to have you here, Anya. So thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Um, So I guess that was kind of, you know, the the general introduction, but can you tell us a bit about yourself and um, maybe more deeply in in uh, in your story? Tell us in your words um, about how you came to do all these incredible adventures. <laughs> sure. So, yeah, I'm originally from Germany, from a town called Bielefeld, which is in the middle of nowhere and far away from any mountains or polar regions, of course. Um, And so I followed a very traditional um, career. I studied business administration and philosophy, went into the telecommunications industry and um, worked there as a manager for a number of years. And um, during that time, I started going on more exciting holidays than I used to do when I was younger. So I went to Peru backpacking for the first time in my life when I was 23 years old. And that was the first time I went on a multi-day hike to Machu Picchu, first time sleeping in a sleeping bag in a tent out there. And I had a really good time and I enjoyed what I was doing there. And so when the next holidays approached, I wanted to do something similar. So I wanted to go to Argentina backpacking again. And I looked for treks and activities to do there. And I quickly came across Aconcagua, which is the highest mountain in South America. And I decided, this could be a great thing to do. Let's go and climb Aconcagua. It's not technical. It's not not something where you need to have specific climbing or glacier travel skills. And so I signed up for an expedition there, had a really good time again. I learned a lot from the mountain guide and the other climber I was with. And from there, the journey unfolded and I became intrigued by the world of mountains, combined that with my love of travel and exploring new places. And of course, setting myself new goals, bigger goals every time I would go somewhere. And that led me to do those things that you just recounted, Sarah. Wow. Um, that's so, I love that you just went, oh, I think I'm gonna do this. And and then you just did. 
<laughs> you gotta start somewhere. You do. And we uh, we had a we had a chat about perfectionism. We've talked about that a few times. And I love this idea of just just starting something, which you have obviously done and done it exceptionally well. <laughs> it sounds like you were just willing to let go as well and just to challenge any sort of uncertainty or fear you might have had around doing these things. Obviously, the lure of doing something different and the excitement associated with that uh, outweighed the possible difficulties that you could experience in that type of expedition. Just, is, that, is that a fair comment or, or what, what inspired you to, to want to you know, get to the top of the highest mountains? <laughs> Speaking from the perspective of someone who's terrified of heights, <laughs> I, you know, if I get to the top of a ladder, I'm doing really well. And then I go all wobbly and go, get me down from here. So I'm curious to, to understand um, whether where this curiosity and drive to, to climb up and do things that hadn't been done by other people before came from. Is this something that runs in your family or, or what? I would say it does not run in my family at all. Um, but I do think that all of us are curious human beings. Look at children running around. They want to explore the world. They want to learn new things. And I think we all have that deeply ingrained in us. We just sometimes lose that curiosity in the daily grind, but I think we all have that sense of um, curiosity, that desire to learn, that desire to explore. And we just need to learn to like either retain it or reactivate it. And for me, it was uh, really kind of like reactivated when I, when I had those experiences out there and I realized how good it was for my mind and my body to be out there in nature. This is where we all come from, but also to be able to like, you know, develop new skills and to grow and to, to achieve goals that I set for myself. And of course, you might think of this as adventures where I just like go there and wing things as I go along. But actually, in today's world, we have such a, yeah, such a mass of information available uh, to us. So I could really read up as to what are the requirements? What does it take? What is the weather like? What is the route like? And I could uh, could figure out what skills it would take to achieve what I would want to do. Um, of course, there's always an element of risk and uncertainty that remains, but you can eliminate a lot of that in advance. So it isn't really that adventurous anymore, but just like an expedition or a, a challenging goal um, in a VUCA world. <laughs> yes. It's an interesting distinction between an adventure and an expedition. I, I love how you've sort of separated the, the two there. And I imagine the amount of planning that goes into an expedition, especially when you're doing something solo and unsupported, must be massive. Do you have um, a number of people that you can call on for additional input or who you reach out to for extra information or people who've done similar things but not quite the same as you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first formed that idea in my head, I didn't have that um, group of people around me who've done polar expeditions or who knew anything about that. But I quickly found a couple of people who could help me, who did have that expertise. And I realized the more I was willing to prepare and really seriously get involved with that subject matter, the more other people were willing to help me and support me with their knowledge. And it is amazing to see how much other people are 
willing and able to to pass on and give back to others. And um, so I was very lucky to have those um, experienced polar explorers supporting me with their expertise and and help me get in, yeah, make the first steps in their world, really. Fabulous. That's incredible. So when I, when I heard you speak, I was so drawn to, I mean, almost every word you said, it was just brilliant to hear um but I guess in the context of our of our I guess where our our talks overlap or where we share things you talked so much about the resilience and that started with your I guess your uh research and connecting with those people um but yeah maybe tell tell us a bit about what resilience means to you um and then I'd love to if you could share with everyone your kind of um, your points about how how you achieved such a, a I guess a, a huge goal. Sure. So resilience is a huge topic, and I think yeah. everyone will define <laughs> yeah. it. Could you just sum it up differently? In <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, first of all, it it literally just means the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, or the ability of a substance or something else to like spring back into shape and I like to liken that to the blisters that we have on our feet that's like little cushions that allow us to like you know take away the friction that we're having against our body and keep going it's it's like really this kind of like layer between the core of our body and all the hardship that is out there and it allows us to like you know really um, buffer anything that's happening there and come back into shape uh, with every step. Um, and I think in a, in a different way, resilience is being sustainable with the resources that we have, with our energy, with our time, with our like, you know, physical needs like sleep, hydration, uh, nutrition, and so on. And realizing, okay, we need to manage those limited resources sustainably so that we will always have that buffer that cushion that blister so to speak that will give us the ability to absorb any external shock and ex external abrasion hardness without being completely you know worn out by that ourselves mm. and yeah i mean there's a lot of ways in which you can build that buffer and retain it um, if you want to speak more about that. Yeah, I was going to say, would you mind um, telling everybody what, I guess, what you did to help you create that? Sure. So I think especially with this houseball expedition, I realized I had to do all the tough things before things would get tough. That means I spent a lot of time training, planning and preparing before I went out onto the expedition. So that when the expedition started, I had a free head and I had free hands to deal with anything that would come my way on the expedition, rather than having to think about things I could have thought of in advance or training on the expedition rather than training in advance. I'd better come with those muscles and you know building the muscles as I move along and I think it's the same in business where we should do all the planning and preparation before we go into execution because once we're in the execution it'll be tough enough anyway without us having to fight for resources budget and so on um, 
then <laughs> then I also learned to never push or go beyond my limits. It's mm. such a nice metaphor to say, well, I'll go beyond my limits or I'll push my limits. But really what I do to achieve big things, I try to always stay within the boundaries of my energy and my capability. As long as I still have the energy to, um, you know, deal with anything unexpected, I'm in a good position. But if I push myself every day to the limit that I'm fully exhausted by the end of the day, it'll take so much longer for me to recover and to and to deliver a good performance the next day or the next week. You can do that over a short period of time, of course, this escalation, this firefighting exercise. But in the long term and in business, we're in an infinite game. You need to remain um, able to perform day after day after day. So yeah, never push to my limits. And then, yeah, I mean, going on, of course, I realized I had to really just focus on what I could control. There's a lot of things that can take, uh, that, that can wind you down, like the daily grind, those small emails that are annoying users, processes that are cumbersome and so on. Or in my case, this has to be the waves in the snow that really slowed down my progress. But I couldn't change them. Or changing them would have cost me a lot more effort than just accepting them. So I had mm. to learn that I will only lose energy if I try, if, if I get angry or upset about things that are very hard for me to change. And instead just focus on what I can control and then make that my primary, um, yeah, focus really. So I, I'll stop here. Otherwise I'll be talking for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing you talk about it, but what you just said, I wanted to just come back. So I'm, I'm guessing either you did amazing mental preparation, but I wanted to ask, were there moments where even though, you know, you need to focus on what you can control, did you ever get that kind of like, Oh, I hate them. And how did you get yourself back from, you know, when we tip over into that kind of crazy brain talk? Um, how did you bring yourself back? Cause obviously you did, cause you had to. <laughs> Of course. So um, I distinguish two situations. One is the situation where things are almost scary, like the big storm where you're like, oh, my God, like this is dangerous. Um, and in those situations, I need to realize, OK, I learned everything I need to apply here. I know mm -hmm. how to do everything in a calm and controlled manner. There's no real risk involved if I just keep doing what I have learned by heart so well. And then I just like kind of like make sure I've got a calm and cool mind um, and continue doing what I learned and ignore the fact that this is potentially like, you know, scary. I, I kind of like shut down that, that panic mode. The other situation is this kind of like daily grind situation. I described this as Drugi earlier. There's like um, ice and snow waves in the, in the ground ahead of me that would make me get stuck with my ski tips or like flip over my sled or get my sled stuck and so on. And there were a number of days where I was like, I don't want to go out today and face that uh, long stretch of <clears throat> Officer Struggy today. 
There's like no motivation and no desire to tackle them. And there's no reward of tackling them either because it's not a challenge. It's nothing that is like giving you anything back once you've mastered it. But I knew I had to overcome them to get to my overall goal. And just, and just being able to keep going was something I knew um, I had to do. Like, if I if I just sit there and stare at them and be like, I wish they weren't here, I would never get to the South Pole. I And they were part of the challenge. And I wanted to do something challenging because otherwise the goal wouldn't be rewarding. So in the end, I had to tell myself, look, this is part of the game. You sign up for this because you wanted to achieve something that's tough. So get over yourself. It's not fun, but it's not difficult either, or like not not impossible either. Keep going and minimize the time of thinking about it. Yeah, that's incredible. Because I think that's what something. I mean, for me in business, that we can spend so much of that time, I guess, just wasting our energy and our thoughts on those things that are happening or will happen or will continue to happen. And so, how do we how do we do that? Do I guess do you take that back um, with you as something that helps you in in your workplace? I think there's a lot of transferable aspects to that for work, um, which are really about you know how do you manage your energy on a day to day basis? Don't do the extra hours if you're only going to cut down your sleep and then you'll not perform well the next day and you'll take longer for every task and over over a couple of days or weeks or months, you will take so much time to process just tiny bits of information because your mind isn't ready anymore to absorb anything because you've completely worn out yourself and you become mm. less productive and you'll need more time for everything. And so you'll do even longer days and you'll get even less done. It's a vicious circle. So break free from that circle and um, shut off your computer when it's time. Make sure you recover and rest um, enough. Cut away all the excess. I stripped down my the weight of my sled to the bare minimum. When people ask me, did you take a luxury item with you on that expedition as a treat for yourself? I said, every single piece I did not have to take with me on that expedition was a treat to myself. It's much easier to achieve the goal when we have less baggage with us. And I think, again, it's the same in business. The more tasks we're trying to accomplish at the same time, or the more meetings we fill our calendars up with, or the more reports we fill our um, inboxes up with, the more we will have to like, you know, look through and sift through, and the less we'll be able to actually focus on the big things that make a huge difference. So, so again, like cutting out all the excess stripping your calendar and your inbox from any information that isn't critical and relevant for the overall big goal, but just nice to have um, is something I learned is really, really important. And then, um, yeah, I think there's some other, other things that are important too, like knowing exactly where you're headed to. If, if I go into a business and I ask people, like, do you know? what the last three tasks you've been doing are good for, how they've helped your organization get to where your organization wants to be. A lot of people will say, no, actually, this is just because it's always been done like that, or I've, I've just been invited to that meeting, so I attended. 
or like we we've just been invited to do that presentation so i decided i will do that presentation without thinking about like is this really um contributing to the overall goal yeah and in the end if you really can't reduce the amount of things you're having on your plate anymore and it still looks overwhelming then don't think about the overall amount of the big tasks. When I thought of those 1,381 kilometers to go to the South Pole, and I then looked at my worst day on which I made seven kilometers, and I would have counted down from, say, maybe 1,350 at that point to 1,348 kilometers after a really tough day, it would have been so depressing. <laughs> like it would have made me go crazy. But instead, I focused on what did I achieve already and what is the next step I can achieve rather than looking at the overall workload ahead of me. And so if you really can't minimize the workload anymore, just focus on every single next task you can do and look back from time to time and be proud of all the things you've done. And it will, it will add up eventually and you'll be surprised by how much you will have achieved. Anya. Every single point that you've highlighted here is so relevant to the workplace and what enables us to truly thrive. I loved your first point to not pushing yourself beyond our limits, because I think for many people, the modern workplace is geared to encourage people to go to beyond their limits. And I think it is such an important thing to understand that we're human and it's not sustainable and it's damaging. So thank you for highlighting that and for highlighting the other points as well. I've been busy taking notes as you've been speaking. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. This is absolutely true. <laughs> so what I'm curious to understand is that the, the depth of wisdom that you've accumulated from undertaking these expeditions is, is wonderful to hear and to, wonderful to hear you express and articulate so clearly. Are these something that things that you've worked out for yourself, or did you already have a lot of this on board before you set out? I think most of it just, you know, emerged and developed naturally. And of course, the expeditions grew bigger and bigger over time. So you learn from every expedition something for the next one. And yeah. so over time you realize, oh, this is really helpful. So I will keep doing this or I wish I had done that, so I will do that the next time. And then um, the other part is just I start to reflect a lot more on what helped me succeed. Um, the more people ask me about uh, things that you're asking me about today, the more I also go back into introspection and figure out, okay, what have been my personal um, key success factors? Um, and so it's it's just that accumulation. Mm -hmm. I love too that that everything or how you've spoken about everything comes clearly from a growth-oriented mindset, as we would call it, where you're looking more for the positive, you're identifying that, yes, there will be challenges, but you've already worked out that diving into negativity or getting hung up in the frustrations isn't going to take you to where you want to be. So for people who find that they tend to get stuck in the glue of all that negativity, particularly at work, what do you think is the most important thing that they could do to help themselves to get out of that funk and to find a different way or a better way to, to move forward? 
one thing that has helped me personally a lot is to not see myself as a victim of my environment, but to see myself as a driving force that has chosen the place that I'm at and that has chosen to do what I'm doing. And I think we all like to think that everything is being put upon us and we forget about the fact that everything is a consequence of a lot of choices that we had in the past in our lives and that we continue to have on a daily basis in our lives. And so, of course, the moment I'm I'm in Antarctica and it's really cold and it's a lot of sastrugia and it's really windy and I'm not progressing at all, I'm like, I, I can feel very sorry for myself that moment. But then I'm like, hang on, I wanted to be here. That was my choice. I shouldn't be complaining. I should be grateful for being here, for doing what I wanted to do. And we honestly have a lot more choices than we would like to think um, oftentimes about what we do and how we uh, perceive things. And then also it's about putting things into perspective. Sometimes just a couple of days of hardship. Uh, in my case, it was a two-month expedition to the South Pole. And some people say, wow, two months, that is such a long time. But honestly, two months of suffering for a lifelong, amazing memory is nothing. And actually, I had fun along the way, too. So somebody just <laughs> also helped to, like, you know, lift your, lift your eyes from, like, the next step in front of you, look around you and see the beauty around you, enjoy the moments that you're living through, like, find joy in that lovely conversation with your colleague or in that, you know, um, mm beautiful video you've produced or in that um, you know new innovation you've contributed to like look around you and see the beauty in things I love that so that's a great question that comes for me because you know we work on a lot of different you know you've seen our, the model of kind of results relationships purpose I think you've talked through most of those um, how do you have fun when you're doing that like how did you <laughs> make time for fun I think if I had to make time for fun, that would be quite sad because it would mean I'd really not enjoy everything hey. I'm doing. I have to deliberately <laughs> carve, out, <laughs> carve out time for fun. So um, I'm sorry to answer a question in a negative way, but really. I love it. No, I love it. it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, enjoy what you're doing. And then, um, you know, as I said just before, see the beauty in things. Um, like um, do do fun little things as you go along and be it that you're trying to, I don't know, um, hit a certain, uh, you know, track record of a small little activity you can do on the side or have something going on in your mind by doing things. Also look back and have type two fun. I mean, you're going through a hard period of time. I had a tough couple of days with lots of self-pity. I look back and laugh about myself. Fair enough. Mm. Or I play a ridiculous song and I'm just like, you know, joking around for myself. It's like you can have fun in so many different ways, but you can also just, um, yeah, be content. And it doesn't need to be fun to be to be nice and enjoyable. Nice. Mm. I love that. I was going to ask um, a question around um, the environment that you now spend a lot of time in, because it sounds like being outside in nature, in the mountains or on vast you know, snowfields is something that you relish. What is it about being outside 
that you think is important, not only for yourself, but for other human beings? Well, I think, I think we as human beings are part of nature and we forget that a lot. Like we build these houses and barriers around us to keep nature outside and make it a confined space that we sometimes dare to go into, uh, forgetting that actually that's where we've come from evolutionary. And um, I think there's a lot of health benefits even to being in nature. Like I just learned that, for example, in Canada, doctors are now allowed to prescribe time in national parks yeah. as medicine. Because yeah. it is good for our bodies. It's good for our minds. We don't fully understand probably all the chemistry that's going on there yet, but there is, there's something going on. And, uh, and I think um, all of us will benefit from it. All of us will benefit from physical activity also. It makes you smarter. People who do sports, um, doesn't matter what kind of sports, are better able to process information, have a um, have a better brain processing power. So there's good aspects to being being outdoors and being active. And I think we should all make time for that and, and reconnect to where we're coming from. Yeah. Mm. And I think that to just expand on that a little bit, I don't think you have to necessarily be an explorer to Not at benefit all. From, from what you're describing. Because I think one thing that's come out of COVID has been the realization that we tend to feel better if we get out of the house and go for a walk. You know, when people were in lockdown for for weeks on end, just having that facility to get out and just be, you know, listening uh, or appreciating this, you know, the, the what you could see around you was really important to how people felt at that time. It really did give people that boost. To, to their well-being. So, um, yes, uh, social prescriptions, green prescriptions are very much key <laughs> to our well-being. And uh, I think COVID actually did help remind us of that fact. That The key now is how do we keep people doing that um, <laughs> if they can't always be, you know, if they're working no, full time and, and very busy or too busy and pushing themselves beyond their limits, how can we sort of get them to step back a bit and say, okay, I really felt so much better when I did get outside for that 15, 20 minute walk once a day. How am I going to instill that new habit and keep it as a sustainable well-being tool? Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's um again about figuring out how much time do I invest and how much time do I get back? When I would think that I'm cutting out 20 minutes of my day by going out there, then it feels very negative. I'm losing those 20 minutes of productivity. But when I then realize, for example, um, especially hiking in a forest is proven to reduce stress levels, cortisol levels in your body and boost your immune system. If you add up the days of illness, you are preventing. Mm, and yeah. if you then also add up the um, percentage, which probably is very individual, of productivity you're gaining from having, you know, switched off and switched on again, yeah. um, you know, giving yourself the opportunity to relax a moment, to focus properly again afterwards, you will realize those 20 minutes are quickly recovered 
like all those positive time-saving effects afterwards. And you will start to think that going out for 20 minutes a day is actually going to save you a lot of time and it's going to make you a happier person. So I think figuring out the benefits, the time savings by investing time is a good way to, to make that more tangible for those productivity-focused, um, numbers-focused people. <laughs> isn't that awful it's it's so much easier to like quantify that isn't it the the numbers and things than the the uh, the other benefits i think that, that we talk about no i think it's just a way way of taking away the feeling of guilt maybe also like some people yeah. feel guilty like i'm taking time for myself how selfish yeah. is that i'm taking time yeah. off whilst i could be working i shouldn't be and mm-hmm. yeah you know really making it transparent that you're doing everyone a favor, even the health system, you're doing a favor and saving money um, is, is a good way to take away that guilt. Sarah and I have both learned that we achieve so much more by doing a bit less and taking that time out for ourselves and not feeling guilty for one moment. Because we know, as you say, it's, it is that investment that makes the biggest difference of all but it's it starts with giving yourself permission and I think for many people that's the hardest part because they've been brought up to think oh no 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 you look after everybody else and I think especially as women we tend to do that even more so uh stepping back and I think having a dog helps don't you Sarah <laughs> Both it dogs. definitely helps me <laughs> so you know we 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 relish that time out for ourselves and our families and our and our pets, because we know it just adds to that sense of well-being and and pleasure, and that's such a precious thing to have. We only have a finite amount of time on this planet, and uh, I just love what you shared because you know, enhancing that sense of of joy is just so important. Yeah, life is to be lived. Absolutely. Mm. So yeah, and that's one thing that you just mentioned that I think is really, really key too. You said, look after yourself first. We all know that from flying in an airplane. It says, <laughs> put on your oxygen mask first before you put on that oxygen mask of a child next to you or somebody who needs your help. Because you will not be able to help other people for a long time if you haven't looked after yourself first so you need to be in a really good position yourself to be able to give back and support others Um, otherwise you'll at some point as much as you've wanted to help everybody else and not look after yourself you'll become the burden because you will be the one who's going to be burned out and who will need more help from others so true yeah so true um I was I was going to ask. I know we've talked so much about your solo journey, but you've done, I think, far more group and team team expeditions. Um, so it, maybe just before we finish, if you could touch a little bit on the benefits or the the differences, perhaps it is of when you go on these journeys as a team. What's the impact? What's the difference? <laughs> sure, I think. It all starts before the expedition already, like putting together the right team and also making sure that the te- you, as a person you are, are as ready to join a team as you would be if you were on your own, because it's very hard to, um, to have a team where everybody's hoping that the others will be able to, to get the team to where they want to go and is relying on the other people to pull them up that mountain. And then it's also really important to 
have shared goals and rules. Sounds very easy in the mountain. Like we all want to get up that summit and get back home safely and uh, in one piece. Um, but actually in business, are we trying to all work to become the quality leader or offer the best price to our customers or make sustainability our main priority? We're getting pulled in so many different directions. So having sh a shared goal and shared rules by which we are going to achieve that goal is, is critical and more so in a team situation than um, solo. And then it comes to taking responsibility. When I'm on my own, I know I have to take responsibility for every single decision, every single step of action. If I'm in a team, there might be a guide going ahead and I might just like, you know, say, I trust this guy. He knows what he's doing. I'll just follow along. And even when a situation seems slightly risky or dodgy or you have this intuition that maybe something isn't going well, you just trust the other person and you you forget that it is your responsibility as well to flag risks, to communicate, mm -hmm. to 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 make your concerns heard, um, or to step in when someone else is like you know falling short of uh, being able to play their part. And so I think it's really really important that in any team environment you encourage independent thinking. It doesn't mean that people are critical of their team leaders or their managers. It doesn't mean they don't trust their co-workers. It just means they also put their heads to use instead of just, you know, blindly following along. And you will see a lot more with four, six or eight pairs of eyes open than with just one pair of eyes open. And then communication. Like there's so much communication we do on a non-verbal basis. It makes a huge difference if someone rocks up at camp three high on the mountain and is like having their shoulders um, down, having their head down, being completely, you know, worn out and frustrated and like asking for, hey, where's my tea? Where's my soup? Did you already prepare camp? Whatsoever. Or if someone comes in and brings a lot of good, positive energy and vibe into the camp because they're proud of like having just made their way up there and having achieved that milestone it, it makes a big difference how you enter a meeting room and what energy you bring into that meeting room but then also communicating like explicitly like in a clear and concise and regular way you yourself know how you're doing whether you're in a safe camp in a good spot or whether things are um, difficult or whether someone's injured people back in base camp or people not part of your project team they don't know what's going on unless you tell them. You don't need to tell them in a two-page email what's going on in your project, but you need to let them know at regular touch points in a clear language so that they understand everything is on track and going well, or no, actually there are some risks or issues that we need to resolve. And then the last point I want to touch upon is the trust, but this time in a very positive manner, because in a team, you need to be able to rely on each other and to trust each other. And that can be the one person that is stepping ahead and paving the way and showing the other people behind him, everything is okay and you can follow me, I'm in control. And at regular points in time, I will turn around and check whether you are still okay and whether everything is going 
to plan and whether you're able to keep up, like checking upon the others from time to time. And then you might realize that this can become a reciprocal thing. I had that in a very, very hairy situation where the person I trusted that with their courage and their like, you know, stepping up in front of me and leading the way helped me get up the mountain on the way down was the one person that needed support and that wasn't able to go down anymore and where I had to now step up and say, now is the time for you to trust me. Now, without me realizing that I, it could ever be the case, I have become the stronger person for a moment on the mountain and now you can trust and rely on me. So trust is so important in a team. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Yeah. And so did you, when you, at the beginning, you said, you know, you had to create the clear, I guess, rules and um, almost guidelines, I guess, is the, are those things that you explicitly set ahead of time on a journey like this? You know, like what, what is expected, I guess, of, you know, we expect you to use your eyes, tell us this, tell us, how do you, how do you create that? Or does it happen when you're going through a journey together? It's very important to do that in advance. Mm -hmm. So, for example, there's turnaround times usually set out. If we mm -hmm. don't get from camp A to camp B within X hours, we turn around. If you didn't reach a certain milestone on the last summit push, you turn around. Mm -hmm. Try to explain someone at 8,500 meters well, hang on, actually, you're going a bit slow now. I think you'll not make it to the summit. I think we should now like define the rule that this is too slow and that you better turn around. They will not listen to you. Yeah. Like, you need to have agreed on that when everybody had a clear, free mind, had head space to agree on mm -hmm. those decisions and to not, um, you know, debate those decisions from the kind of like middle of the action. And then it's the same in business. If you have gotten a certain budget, you're close to the finish line and you are not going to hit that finish line within the budget, that's difficult. You better have calculated that in advance or have made those decision-making points in advance. Like, you know, when are you going to um, get increases in budget or time um, upon, like, you know, meeting which milestones and when are you going to cancel that project because you are not able to deliver it's it's in the it might seem tough the first time you do this exercise in advance but in the long term it creates trust it creates reliability and it creates consistency in achieving what you've what you've laid out you would do um, and also what do you expect from the people to contribute um, oftentimes in a team and a mountain, you, you come into a section of deep snow and the strongest person will go ahead naturally, break trail, the others will follow. At some point, the others in the back are already feeling kind of like, this is exhausting. I'm not kind of keen to go to the front and break trail. The person in the front either doesn't dare to say that he needs help um, mm -hmm. and therefore would like to swap places or he feels like the others are relying on me to break trail because they are having such a hard time already. And all of a sudden you burned out your strongest player in the team without you know, this having been necessary. 
if you'd said from the beginning, okay, every 20 minutes or every 30 minutes, we will take turns and someone else would go to the front. There's no moment in which a single person needs to say, look, I'm too weak to keep going. This is what it feels like if you are like in the front and you need to ask someone else to step in. You're just like, nope, my time is up. It's time to take turns. Decide on those rules in advance, also in business. You don't want to have that one person always saying, look, everyone else is so busy. I'm busy too, but I'll, I'll do the extra task. I'll do the extra presentation. I'll do the extra report. I'll do the extra whatever. You don't want that to happen. You want to have something that is sustainable also in terms of team energy, team management. That's such an important point, Anya. And I think, you know, certainly from a mountaineering aspect, it's all about safety because you know that unless you have got that shared responsibility and, and willingness to make those difficult decisions that it, it could set, it could cause um, a disaster for everybody. But similarly, in a, in a business situation, I think it's about uh, understanding that just because everybody has worked hard to try and reach a deadline or complete a project and it's become obvious to everybody that it's not going to happen, the, the difficulty then is to let go because nobody wants to admit failure or that we haven't done what we set out to do because um, it doesn't make us feel good. So, I, But I think we need to take it back to well, sometimes letting go is actually the best thing to do because it's going to save you the ongoing pain and ongoing risk of continuing to push on. And like you say, potentially burn out your, your strongest member of the team. So really important points that you've, you've made there and highlighted. You know, there's some cost fallacy where just because a lot of money has been put into something, um, but you can see it's not going to work right. Doesn't mean you should carry on. It's that's time to pull up stumps and say, "We're out of here. We're done." Um, and like you say, it's it's a hard thing to do. But if you to practice it, it becomes less threatening, um, and then it becomes the the way that people think about risk. Um, What's the word, Sarah? Risk assessment um, as to whether you should continue or turn back. Oh yeah, the, your gate process, your go no go. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's right. But if you, but it's, but it's exactly that, isn't it? Once you, I'm sure, once you're at eight and a half thousand feet, and you don't want to. Nobody well, wants to have to turn around at that point because you put so much in. So. Um, Thank you so much. I realize we've, uh, I, I could just listen to you speak and, and it's just so beautiful to see you again and to hear your story. Um, how, if anyone's listening to this, um, how can they get in touch with you? What is the best way for them to get in touch? I know you do, um, you do keynotes, you do speeches, um, anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners? Um, sure. So yeah, if anyone wants to get in touch, the easiest way is to do so via my website. It's yeah, Blacha, so first name, last name.com, or they can also find me on LinkedIn or Instagram. Um, and yeah, maybe the last thing to share with the listeners, if you're asking, maybe yeah. one advice is how about you try and become your own role model? What would a person do that you would look up to in this situation and now try to be that person? And if you take that as your guiding compass for everything you're doing throughout your daily life, I think you'll come a long way. 
Beautiful. Thank you so much, Anya. It's been an absolute delight to have this conversation with you. And as Sarah said, we could we could have this conversation continue for a lot longer. <laughs> I know we're taking up your precious time. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We've so appreciated your wisdom and your insights that you've shared with us and with our audience today. And we wish you all the very best for your next endeavour. Thank you very much. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Thriving with Sarah and Jenny. We hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it. And you can always get involved in the well-being conversation at all of our social links in the show notes. Until next time, stay safe, stay happy, and thrive in whatever you do.